0: this morning in Mark chapter number, well, actually three, I was going to say again, but we're in a new chapter. We've moved to chapter three of the gospel according to Luke. No, that's wrong. I'm telling you, it's going to be one of them days. You ever had a day where you're just so exhausted, you feel like you could could go to sleep standing up? I had about five of those this week. I changed to a different route. I went to more post office thinking I was going to take it easy. I was going to relax a little bit. I was going to have an easier route. Well, I went to the route. I went from, from uh, a route for, for a normal person to one for Pepe Gonzalez. <laughs> you know, Pepe was Speedy's little brother who was almost as speedy as Speedy. Well, <laughs> I don't need a route like that. I wanted one where I could slow down. Well, they've been killing me over there. And so I'm as exhausted this morning as I think I've probably ever been. So if you see me mess, messing up, that's my excuse, all right? So I'm moving right along. Mark chapter three. We talked last week about religious bullies. And I'm talking about, and we kind of mentioned it with the kids this morning, there are those who use religion, they use spiritual laws, they use spiritual rules to bully others around. We saw that there in chapter two of book of Mark, verses 23 and following there. And as this happened, I'm talking about as there was this bullying going on, as they were trying to bully the Savior, Jesus was having none of it. Jesus did not lose control. I have that effect on babies a lot, by the way. Jesus did not lose control. Jesus did not lose sight of His purpose. Jesus actually didn't lose sight of hope that He could reach those Pharisees. He wanted to teach even those religious bullies how they could come out from their religious bullying and be normal again. Now this week, we're going to see an escalation. Instead of those religious bullies finding that, hey, I can change and I can be a normal believer, I can follow God in a different way. Instead, we're going to see an escalation where we go from religious bullies to religious hitmen, people who are actually out to destroy in the name of religion, people who are actually out to hurt in the name of religion. These are schemers and plotters, and we're gonna see them as they try to set up the Savior. They're gonna to try to trap him and knock him out of action. I mean, <laughs> at least that was their plan. And so they had to get their scheme going, and that's what we're gonna see here in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 and following. You follow along as I read aloud, verse 1 of chapter 3. And he entered again. Into a synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, in order that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began to take counsel with the Herodians against him about or as to how they might destroy him. Now... First of all, I want to set the scene because if you read this in every other translation you can find, including the original Greek, you'll find out that this was not just a random synagogue. This was the synagogue. Jesus had gone back home. He was there in that uh, same synagogue there in Capernaum, which was not far from Simon Peter's house. This would have been the headquarters synagogue, if you will, his default. He went back to his his place where they would expect him. See, if they're going to try to set you up, they're going to need to find out your patterns and your habits. Well, they had found out that when Jesus was back in Capernaum, he always went to the synagogue. And so when they found out that Jesus was going to the synagogue, somehow they knew where he would be, and so they brought a man who they knew was in need. And and a withered hand, if you've seen somebody who has a hand that's maybe smaller than the other, or for some reason the blood was cut off, it's cerebral palsy, or some different reasons, his hand was withered. And so here they brought this man, set him down in the synagogue, right wherever where Jesus would have to look at him. And then they watched Jesus to see what would he do. Isn't that an interesting idea? They brought the man to the synagogue expecting Jesus to heal him. They knew what Jesus <clears throat> would probably do. They brought him there not to see if he could heal the man, but they brought him there. They were actually expecting that he would. In fact, they were hoping he would not to benefit the man. No, they were hoping that he would perform this so-called work of healing so that they could gain or gather evidence. And the fact that he was there in that synagogue on that particular day is far too convenient to be coincidence. I believe, and if you read those two verse, the sections together, the grain field conversation and this synagogue conversation, you're going you're to see this, as I do, that there is a direct action. There's a direct action in response to that grain field conversation they had about the Sabbath. Because it was last Sabbath when he was walking, or maybe it was two Sabbaths ago, it doesn't exactly say, but as he was walking through that grain field, you remember, and he said, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Well, in direct response to that, they think, well, we can catch him then. We'll get him another time to do something on the Sabbath. And so they, these men, along with their, their, the withered man, <clears throat> the man with the withered hand, they came specifically to try and catch Jesus. They were going to use the law as a club to try to bash the Nazarene and somehow destroy him and return things to the way they'd been before he showed up because a lot of people were following Jesus already and now they weren't really paying as much attention to these Pharisees and the Herodians. And so they just wanted to restore the status quo and they wanted to destroy this new up-and-coming up guy. You know, This is one of the things, let me give you three or four things that you can always tell about religious hitmen. I'm talking about people who want to use religion to destroy, use religion to subjugate, use religion to to, to manipulate people. They always will misuse the law of God. Now, the fourth commandment is there, folks. It was there. It's the fourth commandment is the one about the, the Sabbath. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And not to do any, any normal work on the Sabbath. That was there. That was a real law. And so what they're going to use is they're going to take that law and instead of allowing that to be something that was a gift from God, they're going to use it as a hammer to try to nail this upstart rabbi from Galilee. But God never gave the, the law he was never, the law was never intended to be some kind of a cold, hard monolith, some kind of a big club to use beating people into shape so that the, the people who knew the law better could use it against those who didn't know it all that well. God gave the law, literally, as we find out in the, in the New Testament, God gave the law to show us our, our helpless condition, to show us that we could not please God in our flesh. The law was given to lead us to cry out to God in faith and say, God, I can't do this. Help me. Help my unbelief. Help my sin. And God would say, only through my son. The law was given to to show us our helplessness so that we cry out in repentance, so that we cry out in submission. These religious professionals, however, had figured out a way to, by the law, through the law, from the law, they had figured out a way to win any argument and win and pass any test. Because if a religious professional approaches somebody who's just kind of just learning, and they've got all those little letters after their name, they can use the I know more than you do card. They can, they can put on their religious suit, and they can come in, and they can look. You know, have you ever seen preacher man hair? Some people just have preacher man hair. And you can even see them walking through Walmart, and you think, that's preacher man right there. You can tell by his hair. It's something about it. Now, now, Brother Howe almost has it. Almost. But just, you can see it in people, and they'll put on their preacher man suit, their preacher man attitude, and they'll tell you, I know more than you do. And so, because I know more than you do of the law, I know more than you do by the law, I know more than you do from the law, therefore, because I'm a grand high muckety-muck or whatever, I win. And people who are religious hitmen use that ploy all the time. Well, if you'd have gone to the university, I went. Well, if you'd have gone to the seminary, I went. Well, if you had had the train, well, if you'd had 30 years of pastoring like that, and they'll use that against somebody. Either that, or they'll have the other side of it to say, Well, I found a loophole and I can get away with it. I just love those people. They found the loophole. So either way, they win. But this is what is happening with these people who are confronting Jesus this day. These are the third kind, these people that will, the religious professionals who they figure they can always win, is I'm the enforcer. You see, I'm here to enforce the law, and it's okay if I can bend the law just a little to make sure that you keep the law. I'm the enforcer, and so I can break the law in order to protect the law. I'm an enforcer, and I can violate the law to in order to protect our way of life. It's, it's almost like these you see all these cop shows today where they have that one police officer who decides he can break the rules. It's, it's okay as long as he breaks the rules because he's trying to do it for the greater good. I may have to break a few minor laws to enforce and keep the major ones. So, so I'm going to enforce the, 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 the Sabbath. And if I break the law of mercy, that's okay. If I break the law of compassion, that's no big deal. If I break the law of grace, that's no big deal because I need to win and protect God's law. God doesn't need you protecting His law. You're not a big enough old boy to box with God and you're not going to need, He doesn't need you to, to be His defender. His word will pass muster without my help. These people were misusing the law, and they were religious hitmen. They had become religious hitmen, but that wasn't all. They weren't just misusing the law. They were misusing the whole Jewish faith. They misused the entire Jewish culture because God had given them that, their uniqueness as Jewish people, as a Jewish faith. Those people came to synagogue trying to learn about God. They came to synagogue trying to learn about the, 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 the Jewish faith or the seek God, to learn about God, to, to, to love God. And those men... Here they were, had turned church into a trap, and they had their eye on the Savior. Can you imagine that? You walk in, and it's like, okay, here he is, here he is. Watch him, let's watch him. There he goes. Why is he? He's not dressed very good today. He didn't have a tie on today. There he goes. And they're watching. They're doing that to Jesus. Now, by this time in his ministry, there were those that were already doing that to Jesus everywhere he went. But this was at synagogue, what we would think of, the place of safety, the place of welcome, the place of church, if you will. They had turned the synagogue service into a trap. What they were doing was they took advantage of the consistency of the Savior. They thought, we know where he'll be. We can take advantage of that. They knew Jesus would be back in the synagogue I mean, so would his disciples, and so they, all they had to do was set a trap and wait. And so that's what they were doing. But you know, in our world today, there are still those who are setting traps for the faithful. They know where you'll be on Sunday, and so they keep an eye on you. They know you'll be there you know, on a regular basis at least, and so they're out to, to, to catch you in a trap. Not only did they take advantage of the consistency of the Savior, but they took advantage of the compassion of the Savior. That's really how they were trying to set Jesus up. They put this man with the withered hand. No no doubt he was right there where Jesus had to look at him. You know, it's kind of like sitting right on the end of a a row somewhere. He wasn't hiding back in the back where nobody could see. No, they had him right up in front, so Jesus had to look at him. They used the, the compassion of Jesus against him because they knew how a broken and pathetic looking man, and I hate to use that word pathetic, but you know, here he was, somebody that everybody would have felt sorry for. He wouldn't have been able to work in the normal way. He wouldn't have had a kind of the robust life that other people would have had. And they knew that this man, right here among all these happy worshipers, we're at synagogue, everybody's in their best clothes, and here's this one guy with his withered hand. Surely somebody would do something to help. I mean, that's the idea. We're going to give him a little bit of extra grace. Well, they put that compassion, that. that That man right in front of Jesus because they knew that they could use his compassion against him. And people do that to churches all the time. We see that today where somebody who has a a need or somebody who is, they look particularly needy or pathetic, or I hate to use that word pathetic again, but the other day I went into a Love's Country store and there was a lady sitting out there at one of the fuel pumps. And she was sitting on the little, you know, that little short uh, curb there by the fuel pump? She was sitting on that thing looking pathetic. You know what she wanted? She wanted somebody to buy her gas. Only she didn't want them to put it in the... She wanted them to give her... She, want, she wanted money. Two or three people stopped to see about what she needed. She needed money. She needed money. She's going to Houston. She didn't have any gas money. She needed money. Well, she wasn't standing there talking to people being sweet about, hey, hey, look, can I, get, I need to get to Houston. Can you help? No, she, had, she thought she had to look pathetic. <clears throat> Funny thing was it worked. I saw three different people stop and give her money. I'm thinking, I might pump your gas for you because you need to get to Houston, but one gas tank's not going to get you to Houston from here. At least not in my car, it wouldn't. But they knew that they could take advantage of the compassion of the Savior. Not only that, but they took advantage of the concern of the faithful, the concern of the Savior. They knew that it looked like a trap. And Jesus being Jesus, he would have realized it was a trap. But if the need wasn't met, then they could use it on the other side and say, see, Jesus didn't heal that guy. They could accuse him either way. Religious hitmen they have no qualms about using the faith, the compassion, the mercy of the faithful to manipulate them into submission. And you'll see church bosses and church rulers and people who are around like that all over the place. They're religious hitmen. They're trying to destroy what God is doing in the lives of His people. Thirdly, though, they were misusing the man. This is probably the one that just... This one hurts me more than all the rest, I think, put together. Because they were using that man. They didn't care that this man was already suffering. They didn't care that this man was already what we would think of as a victim, that this man was handicapped. And by the way, they didn't have an ADA law back then. They didn't care about people who were just disabled or in some way less than normal. They really, for somebody like that, their their whole life was going to consist probably of begging. There was little future. There was little respect. And by the way, they figured, hey, the reason he's got that withered hand is probably a sin in his life. Wonder what he did to get that. And so here this man who was already suffering was set right down in front of Jesus. And, and, and really, I have to give it to him. It's pretty clever, really. It was good bait for the trap. They had way too much metal horsepower for their moral breaks, and so they figured out a way that they could catch Jesus in this trap. And we've got some of that today, too, by the way. They were willing to use hurting people as a useful tool to hurt the opposition. That sounds like politics. Willing to use hurting people as some kind of a way to hurt the opposing party or the opposing group. They were willing to abuse an otherwise innocent person in order to score religious points. Sounds a little bit like politics today. I mean, can you imagine? Just think about it this way. Can you imagine hoping that a factory will close so that it looks bad on your political opponent? We have that happen in America all the time today. Wishing for a tragedy so you can equate the villain with your political opponent happens all the time going into the political arena today but it's also going on in churches it's going on in denominations it's going on in seminaries today just like the religious hit men of Jesus day but they were fourthly they were misusing the Sabbath here's the one that they probably never would have noticed is that they were the ones that were working on the Sabbath Here they were accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, while at the same time they're using a man as a prop in their own little drama. They've got the setup going. They're working as hard as they can on this Sabbath to get Jesus, while they're busy setting a trap for the master, while they're working a scam, a scheme to, 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 to catch Jesus in a mistake. So really, who was it that was breaking the fourth commandment? It was those people. Jesus took all this in. He saw the intended trap, and just like... Again, Speedy Gonzales hitting the trap to, to set it off so that his, his little brother doesn't get caught in it. <laughs> Jesus saw the trap and he sprung it. Sprung it on purpose. I love it in verse 3 where he, he says to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. The guy came up there and, and, and whether his, it was left hand, right hand, it's just said he had one withered hand. He came up holding that, that hand the way he had to. You could have heard a pin drop in that synagogue right at that moment. I mean, everybody's attention now. Jesus had spoke it loud enough for the man to hear. Everybody got quiet to watch, because I can guarantee you the the religious hitmen were sure watching, and everybody else is watching because they wanted to see what was about to happen. Then while he had their focus, before he healed the man, he taught them about the Sabbath. So interesting the way he did that. Again, in verse number 4, he says to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill but they kept silent. It was lawful on the Sabbath to help your neighbor pull his mule out of a hole. That would have been work. Jeff, would that be work? Especially if you've got an ornery mule on your hand. But it's, oh, it's lawful to do that. It's lawful to save a life if someone is in danger of their life. That's perfectly lawful. And here's this man. Would it have been lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? Absolutely. But they didn't see that. Oh, no, no, our little religious way of doing things, the colors, the lines that we've drawn on our color page have got to be respected or you're a sinner. And they're watching Jesus because they're out to accuse Him of that sin. Well, He had, his foc- had their focus and He began to teach on the true meaning of the Sabbath. Why? Why did He do that? Because He never gave up trying to reach people. He never has. Even when it's a Pharisee, even if, when it's somebody who's a religious hitman, even if it's a Herodian or... I almost said, a, 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 almost said a, a, a political party, but I better not. <clears throat> he never gives up reaching, trying to reach people. He never failed to model the heart of the Father. Even in the midst of being accused, even in the midst of being uh, attacked, even in the midst of being set up, he never failed to model the heart of Almighty God. He wanted to do that for the disciples that were watching. He wanted to do that for the crowd who was just interested. He wanted to do that for those religious hitmen who were watching, but mostly he was going to model the heart of the Father for that man. It's interesting. Didn't Jesus actually tell his disciples at one time, if You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was about to model the heart of the Father right in the middle of this attack because the Sabbath, in in verse 4 again, the Sabbath rightly understood and rightly obeyed is never broken by saving a life. The Sabbath rightly understood, rightly obeyed is never uh, broken obeying God or healing a broken heart. The Sabbath is never broken by mending a broken heart a broken relationship. The Sabbath is never destroyed or hurt or broken by touching a broken body and healing. God gave the Sabbath to be a day of physical rest. God gave the Sabbath to be a day of physical rest, but of also mental rest and restoration. We all need a day off. God gave the Sabbath to be a day of physical, mental, and spiritual rest, restoration, and recharge. That's why that God gave them the Sabbath. That's why He gave us a day of rest. Jesus is ready to demonstrate all three of those. And once again, to demonstrate what He said up here in verse 28 of chapter 2, Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And so right there in the middle of everybody, He asks that question. Is it legal? Is it lawful? Okay, and they all remain silent. Why? Because they're too busy, ready to gather evidence. They've all got on their little CSI kit, and they're ready to go. Going to gather evidence on the Savior. So here is one of the small handfuls of the time we see Jesus angered. I mean, very few times in Scripture do you see where it says that Jesus was angered. But here it says He was in verse 5. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Isn't that something? What was He angry about? What was He grieved about? He was grieved and angered because of their hard-heartedness. He was grieved and angered because of their lack of compassion. He was angered and grieved because of their disregard for the man. But mostly, I think, he was grieved and angered because they were using God's holy law, the law that was always good, the law that was always intended to bring people to God. They were using God's law as a club to destroy life. And he looked around in anger, as if to say, Isn't there any compassion in this room? He looked around in anger as if to say, there's a world of lost and needy broken people and all you can see is a way to protect your agenda. He looked around at them as as if to say, you would rather protect your status and ensure that your apple cart is not upset rather than learn of God the compassion that he would have on this man. Learn of God the mercy that he would have on this man. Learn of God the grace and forgiveness. And then in the middle of that as he's just poked, poked on their chest and said, you know better than this. He goes ahead and heals the man in verse number five. He said to the man, "Stretch out your hand." He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. You know, <laughs> I would love to have seen that one day. I hope God has a video re- recorder thing where He can rewind it. We can all we can see some of these things. You know, somehow we can we can see how. that. I'd love to have seen as he's standing there, and everybody's just knowing that this man he, and his hand, which was withered begins to fill out in the the, the blood vessels or the, the muscles or however the musculature had to change and he it goes from a withered hand to a normal hand in front of everybody. And the people were probably saying praise God or gasping or however they were doing it. The Pharisees are just oh they're hot. They're angry they're ready to, to chew BBs or to chew nails and spit BBs. I would like to have seen that but you know what? <clears throat> If you have ever prayed for forgiveness, if you've ever confessed your sin and confessed Jesus as Lord, then you've been born again, you've been raised from spiritual death to eternal life, and that's a far greater miracle than this man experienced there in front of that crowd. Because that man's hand was going to someday be laid in a grave. That man's restored hand is someday going to wither away again into dust as it, from which it came, if you will but that spirit that was reborn on the day you were born again, you experienced that far greater miracle of being saved and returning to the Savior. Well, better ask, have you done that? Have you repented of your sin? Have you admitted your sin and repented and cried out to God for forgiveness? As as we were singing about the gospel this morning. Have you believed that Jesus died in your place? And out of His love, out of His mercy, out of His compassion for you, Bearing all of our sins, bearing all of our sin so that we could come to Him. And then have you confessed Jesus as Lord? The question, have you believed that God raised Him from the dead? The question really must be answered only by the individual. Have you done that? Have you done that? What did the Pharisees see? What did they take away from this? It was almost as if they said, yes, we got Him now. We have the proof. We have the witnesses. We have the the ammo we need. We've got all the evidence we would need to set before the jury. Now we can justify an arrest. We We can justify a stoning. We can at least shame him. We can prove a fourth commandment violation. And they went out of there, probably didn't care one bit for that man. His usefulness was over. They couldn't use him anymore. But who was actually guilty here? Was it the Lord who was modeling the heart of the Father? Was it the Pharisees who were modeling the scheme of the enemy? Because a religious hitman will be able to always use religion. I mean, they'll use. Can you imagine weaponizing religion? Well, that's what they had done, and they had done this in such a way that they'll religious hitmen today will consistently, convincingly use religion as a weapon. They'll convincingly, cleverly, constantly use religion as a weapon. But the question is, do they even know the God that they preach? When they do something that will intentionally hurt a church or intentionally hurt a brother of Christ, do they love the Lord, they claim? Folks, I have to say, there's probably nothing more damaging, there's probably nothing more ugly than religious bullying and religious baiting and religious hitmen. Those defenders of the status quo who had weaponized religion, they had weaponized faith, they would weaponized the law, they would weaponized the synagogue, they would weaponized the suffering of this man. Why? To use it against Jesus. While well, Jesus faced it all. He still healed the man. Jesus faced it all. He still reached out in compassion and taught. Jesus faced it all. He still loved and He still moved to to model the heart of the Father. He still died to set us free. Even those Pharisees? I mean, after all, He didn't die for them. Yes, even those Pharisees, even those religious hitmen. It sounds weird, but I have to say it this way. Religious hitmen are really a thing. They really do exist. They're out there today assassinating family faith. Religious hitmen today are out there assassinating church unity. Religious hitmen today are out there assassinating Christian character, doing the best they can to tear down brothers and sisters in Christ, and assassinating godly ministers and ministries. But Jesus, His love and mercy are still greater. His gift is still available. His gift is still there, and He extends His invitation to all, even those religious bullies and religious hitmen. So the last thing I want to ask, before I have a final story, have you ever caught yourself being a religious bully? Have you ever maybe even without thinking about it, without intentionally been a religious hitman? I mean, have you ever been one of those people out to assassinate the curiosity of a seeking soul? Well, no, no, we don't don't draw outside that line. Have you been one of those people out to assassinate or exterminate the self-expression of a fresh voice? Well, you don't understand. All of our music must be passed through the church's, you know, vetting process before we have it. Do you understand? A religious hitman out to bury the freedom of a joyful soul. It's so dangerous. It's so ugly. And it has shelf life. I want to tell you finally about a man who was on his deathbed. This man had lived a long productive life i mean he had built several businesses he had raised a family everybody in the town thought he was a good old boy he was a nice man and he was well he was in a nursing home and they put him on hospice and one of the family was a church member called and said pastor can you go can you visit our grandfather he's he's dying he's in he's in the, the nursing home down at such and such can you go see him and so the pastor made the call. He wanted to. He, he Nothing he liked better than to, to share the gospel. And he had asked a little bit about the man. No, he's not saved. Never really been to church. So you, it's wide open, preacher. Just go get him. So he goes down there and he walks in. He's visiting with this elderly gentleman. And uh, almost before he can get any words out, the old man says, You know, preacher, I never did have much use for church or church people. Pretty hard about it. And so the pastor, trying to be a good pastor, he says, Well, can you tell me why that is? He says, Miss Ida? Well, now the preacher's got to hear the rest of the story. He said, Well, who's Miss Ida? And he, he goes on to say, When I was eight years old, I went down to the first church, and Miss Ida was teaching my class. And I was, the first time I'd ever been there, I was just a little boy, I was curious, some of my friends had invited me from school, and so I went down to Sunday school, I, I was really interested, I mean, Grandma told me I should go, and, and I went into Miss Ida's class, and we sat there, and, and, and all these well-scrubbed children were there, and they had on their little white shirts, and their little black patent leather shoes, and they're all sitting there, and, and all best I had was, was uh, clean overalls, and, and, and all the dirt knocked off my boots, Because I had to work. I mean, I I didn't have nice things, but I wanted to go to church. But the other children were whispering and pointing at me, preacher. They were acting like I wasn't welcome. And at the break between Sunday school and church, I was caught by Miss Ida. And she said, Bobby, we're so glad to have you in church today. Now, if Miss Ida had just hushed right there, it would have been great. But what she said next was, now, Bobby, we don't want to come to church next time. We don't want to come to God's house looking like we just came in from the barn, do we? Next time I bet you'll 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 dress with you'll get your nice clothes on, wear your church clothes, right? Because we don't want to come to God's house looking like we just come out of the hen house. Well, Bobby studied the toes of his worn-out boots and he said, no ma'am, no ma'am. I mean he answered her the way you should back in that day. You, you said yes, ma'am, and no oh, ma'am. Thank you and please. Then Miss Ida went on and said, God wants our very best, doesn't He, Bobby? Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, ma'am. Okay, Bobby, she finished. you, You try to come to church, dress for church next time, okay? Bobby had on his very best. And this old man remembered that. 77 years later while he was talking to that pastor. And he said, Miss Ida ran me off from that church and I never went back. And preacher... You're not about to get me back now, so there's the door. Of course, the preacher didn't leave. He stayed and apologized for the hurt that Miss Ida had caused because Miss Ida didn't mean to do that. She was just trying to help him color inside the lines. She didn't realize that that was the best Bobby had. But that man, it hurt him so deeply as as an 8-year-old boy that 77 years later, it was still a pain in his heart. And that pastor spoke and talked and worked and visited with that man for two hours. And still, Bobby had, I'm, I'm not having any of it, preacher. You don't understand how bad that hurt me. You don't understand. Well, the problem was, preacher did understand, because he he'd was, he been around religious bullies before. And I'd like to tell you that before he left, that elderly man named Bob received Christ, but he didn't. As far as we know, Bob died without Christ. Do I blame Miss Ida? No, I don't blame her. My concern, folks, is that sometimes we demand people live up to our expectations and we have made false and kind of man made lines and said, Live inside my lines or you're not welcome in my family, you're not welcome in my home, you're not welcome in my church. Folks, I got to tell you, that's Pharisaical and it's sin. And when we do that, we are participating in being religious hitmen. I think it's time some of us examine our own hearts and our own minds and think, have I been acting that way? Have I been treating people that way? God will forgive us. God can heal that. Some of us have been hurt by religious bullies. Some of us, let's just turn it the other way around, some of us have been attacked by religious hitmen. And we've felt the sting of it. And we wonder, God, why are they doing this to me? I'm just trying to do my best for you. I'm just trying to live my life the way it would please you, Father. Why are they attacking me? This morning, God can heal that hurt too. You see, the same gospel that saves us leads us to that place of forgiveness where we can say, I'm going to forgive even that person who hurt my feelings. They may have really hurt you deeply, but the fact is that God loves you. Whatever people have done, God loves you, and He wants to minister to the hurt of your heart. This morning, maybe you're here, and you're you're just really suffering from a, a tragedy or a loss, or maybe you're here, and you're just questioning, I just don't know about this whole salvation thing. God wants to meet you at the point of your need today. And if you've never been saved, He wants to receive you into the family. All you must do is confess you're a sinner. That is, just admit it. You know you are. All of us have been. And all of us are. Believe that Jesus died in our place and then confess Him as Lord and Savior. And you say, Brother Roger, you know how bad I was hurt? Jesus does. And He will break through all that hurt and pain and say, you can forgive that person you can be healed emotionally physically and spiritually and you can walk out of here free and it can be this morning the power of god's here to do it he invites you to come in jesus name let's pray